0: We're going to be in chapter 46 of Genesis tonight, Genesis chapter 46, one little thought though out of Genesis 45, you know there's that, that climatic, climactic verse in uh, Genesis 45, uh, 5 uh, and all the way to verse 7 where Joseph says, now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He says it again down in verse 7. God sent me down in verse 8. Now therefore it was not you who sent me but God. Um, so he's finally you know, gotten all the pieces together and sees clearly this is why all these things happen. And we've talked a lot about this week about kind of looking back at your life and seeing how all of these things kind of line up. And where God has you now where he has you now, and you can see how you got there many times. Uh, I didn't finish telling you, though, the story of one of the leaders in my church who, uh, if you were here one of the nights, I mentioned this is a guy in my church who, uh, when he was two years old, his mother dropped him at a rest stop in Arizona on I-40 and left. So, I mean, again, you imagine the, the guy starting out like that I didn't tell you then, after that, he went through 13 foster homes until he was almost four and a Christian couple in San Diego took him and and adopted him. And um, so he grew up in a Christian home. Then he went into the army and uh, came to know the Lord, became a chaplain's assistant, in the Army, got out of the Army after 20 years, became the chaplain at the Veterans Home in Barstow, and just retired a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in the middle of all that, he actually found four uh, biological siblings that he never knew existed, and as he's gotten to know them over really about the last 10 years or so, um one of the things that he just told me this the other day, it's just fresh on my mind. One of the things he told me is that he was talking to one of his brothers and his brother told him, his brother said, Richard, you were the lucky one. He said the, the four of us were all either alcoholics or drug addicts and gone through multiple families. And he said, you were the lucky one. Now, who would have ever thought that, you know? that getting dropped at the rest stop and abandoned by your mother would be the best thing that could ever happen to you. Well, Joseph's figured that out. Some of you in your stories can look back and you can see these events and these markers that at the time seemed just horrible, but now it kind of all makes sense. And uh, that's where Joseph is as he comes into chapter 46. So from chapter 46 on... Um, it's interesting, now that, that Jacob is here, uh, Joseph, in a way, kind of takes a back seat. Dad's back, and so now he kind of begins to run the family again. Uh, even though Joseph is still there, and Joseph is still the reason that they're there, and Joseph is going to introduce Jacob to Pharaoh, and Joseph is going to take Judah, And Jacob and the rest of them into the land of Goshen where they're going to settle. And uh, Joseph is going to take his kids to Jacob to be blessed. And then Joseph's going to lead as they take uh, Jacob's body back to uh, Hebron, Canaan to be buried. And then the story ends with Joseph and his brothers again. So let's just pick that up. I've just got a few themes for you. And we'll keep going in that. Uh, The first one, Genesis 46, verses 1 to 7, this is a Jacob story. And so as Jacob's getting ready to go back, uh, he's, you can imagine, here is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that have made it to the land that God promised to Abraham. Now God tells him, go out. You'd have to be a little anxious about that, because you're where you thought you needed to be, and now God says, you're not where I want you to be now, so God reaffirms this in the first few verses of uh, chapter 46 to, um, to Jacob, get out and go, and he speaks to him in a vision again. One of the nights we spoke about you know dreams and spoke about visions. I won't go a whole lot more into that other than to tell you, if you're interested in that, there's a really good website just called dreamsandvisions.com. And there's actually six videos, I think, now, of Muslims that have come to be to know Christ through dreams, and they're really well done. It's just called dreamsandvisions.com. Uh, I'll just tell you one more that m- one of my friends had. Uh, my main friend, uh, I told you, remember, that in Sudan a lot of the dreams had to do with the Nile River? And so my friend Hamid, he and his family were on the banks of the Nile. He had a dream that he and his family were on the banks of the Nile. And... Um, They saw Jesus walking across the water, which that seems to be something that happens in Sudan when you have a dream about Jesus. And uh, as Jesus is walking across the water toward them, my friend Hamid and his family run into the brush that's next to the Nile. And the family keeps running, and Hamid thinks he's going to outsmart Jesus. And so he goes behind the first tree. And, you know, if you're playing hide-and-seek from somebody and everybody's running, you sometimes there's one guy that'll try that one, you know. And uh, so he goes and stands by the first tree and he said, Jesus came, didn't follow the family, went right to the tree and looked at Hamid and said, why did the Christ have to die on the cross? And Hamid said, I knew in the dream, I knew the answer. He said, I knew it in my heart, but I couldn't say it. And he said that Jesus told him, I will give you the words to say. And that was his first dream. So it just think, you think about it. if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He kind of had the heart thing. He just couldn't say it. And there you go. But these days, uh, we've got scripture. We don't necessarily have to have a dream or a vision to know God's will. Jacob does. So Jacob gets that, he gets that assurance and he packs up. Pharaoh has graciously sent a wagon train for Jacob to pack up and uh, the boys head to Egypt. And they're going to be there for the next 430 years. That's a long time. Now, another little theme out of that is sometimes God's timing and plan might not make sense. If we were figuring this out, if you and I were in charge of salvation history, we'd have probably just had him stay and just had it all done right there. I mean, this is going to take a long time, 430 years more that they're going to be sitting there wondering when are we going to leave? What's our purpose here? Why are we here? And, you know, you and I pretty much want it now. You know, we we want to make sure it's done today. So now they're going to have to have patience. So sometimes God's plan doesn't make sense but he's got to get them to Egypt so he can get them out of Egypt and then get them back into the land. He had to get them to Egypt because they were going to die if they stayed where they were because there was a famine. So God's timing may not always make sense. Going on from verse 8 is a big list of people who came, and that's kind of summed up in, in chapter 46, verse 27, as it's recounted that there were 70 if you read Acts chapter 7, verse 14, that's where Stephen is giving his defense and his message. And Stephen says that there were 70, 75, verse 14. Uh, yeah, and Joseph uh, sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And uh, that, the, the five has something to do with counting Joseph and his kids or not counting uh, Dinah, their sister, and others. But it's interesting that it's referenced in Stephen's defense. Stephen has quite a bit to say, actually, about the whole story. Read that in Acts chapter 7. Uh, then chapter chapter 46 verses 28 to 34, uh, the father and the son they meet again uh, after 22 years and then they get ready to meet Pharaoh. So beginning in chapter 46 verse 28, uh, Judah before him to, was sent before him to Joseph to point the way to, to Goshen and they came to the land of Goshen and Joseph, prepared his chariot, went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face that you're alive. Boy, that's a pretty incredible moment, isn't it? All of these years, he thinks his son's gone, dead. Now he's alive and now Jacob says, all right, enough. I can go now. And uh, he seems to be, you know, pretty, pretty excited from here on out. Jacob does. He says, just let me die. I've seen your face and you're alive. And then there's another little interesting thing in the bottom of chapter 46 where Joseph gives them this little cultural brief. And he says, and this is one of those where I'm not going to skip over it. I'm just going to tell you, I don't understand what happened. Because Joseph tells them, uh, when Pharaoh asks you what you do, say, I'm a keeper of livestock. But look down in chapter 47, verse 3, Pharaoh said, What's your occupation? And they said, Your servants are shepherds. He's already told them, if you tell them you're shepherds, that's loathsome. I don't know. And then at the end, Pharaoh says, and if you read through chapter 47. Uh, When they go to the land of Goshen, Pharaoh says, and if you know other guys that can take care of my flocks and my herds, no, he actually says, if you know other people that can take care of my herds, uh, look down in verse 6, chapter 47, verse 6, if you know any capable among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. The livestock's the word for cattle. The shepherds had something to do with sheep. So somewhere along there, Pharaoh does understand that these guys handle cows. And so they're all put out there. And I've even tried to figure that out. You know, did the Egyptians eat more sheep than they ate, you know, or did they eat more cattle than they ate sheep? No, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's just loathsome, all right? Shepherds were loathsome. So tell them you work with livestock. So they get to the land of Goshen. uh, And then there's an interesting little interlude in chapter 47 where Joseph introduces Jacob to Pharaoh and Jacob is going to bless Pharaoh. Now that's interesting. You know, here's the old guy. He comes in. He's even going to tell him, look how old he is down in verse 9. Pharaoh says, dude, how old are you? He says, I'm 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourn. That's not really a happy line, is it? In other words, I've had a miserable life and I haven't lived as long as my parents. That's what he says, you know? It's been hard. But he, it says he blessed him, and then he has that little talk with Pharaoh, and then it says he blessed him again. Look in verse 10. So Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And again, a little theme here, a little theme is you can bless people or you can curse people. That's a New Testament theme. Every day you have the chance to bless people or not. And it's interesting, you know, when you watch and I'm with my people and you go different places to watch how our folks react to people at the Department of Motor Vehicles, people in customer service, people at restaurants, restaurants as you're driving it's interesting do we bless people or not james said isn't it crazy that out of your mouth comes blessings you bless god and you praise god and then you curse men How, he says brothers that shouldn't be but you have you have the chance to either bless people every day with what you say and with what you do or not and we all know people that do and we, we all know people that don't don't we I mean, I have people and you have people that when you're around them, they give you life. This is what Jacob's doing. He's telling Pharaoh, blessings upon you, you know, peace. It's like a Sudanese greeting. When you greet someone in Sudan, you don't just go, how's it going? Let's go. You know, you go, how are you? How is your family? How are your children? How is the home? I hope your health is well. You know, you're just going on and on, just showering them, in, and then you're like, Inshallah, if it's okay, if God wills, it's good. Inshallah, if God wills, there's peace. You're just putting all that on them. So, Jacob does it, and we, we have a chance to do that, don't we? We all know people that do, and then we all know people that just suck life from us. I mean, I have people, like, I'm sure you don't, Bill, but there's people there's there's one particular guy in and on Sunday mornings after the worship time I'll see him and you know it's kind of like we make eye contact but with Lee I am ready to go talk to him cuz he's a guy who every time he comes to me he's given me life and he's wanting he's one of those guys that says Hey, do you think I could stop by? I don't want to bother you. Don't want to take your time. But could we stop by and talk about the Bible sometime? I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, wait a minute. You don't want to, talk, you don't want to stop by and say the, you know, the worship service went too long or it wasn't cool enough in the auditorium or the sound was bad? No. So can I just come by and talk about the Bible? I've got some stuff Just really, uh, just want to, you know, I'm like, Any time, anytime, anytime. Then there's other people, you know, you get a text from them, and it says, we need to talk. And you're like, oh, gosh. Now, you know, and usually at our church, it's like between worship services. I don't think so, you know. No. But, I mean, that's a little theme in the story. This idea in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of blessing people, wishing, in Chad, this is there's a really cool greeting in arabic and chad when you greet somebody you say inta afi and afi il afia, the afia in arabic is like your whole being is your whole being good that's a really cool greeting and we've got a chance to do that you know you just have to be aware right you have to be sort of in a in a spiritual walk to notice like Joseph when he's in prison, is the cupbearer and the baker, are their faces long? Is it a chance for you to bless somebody? So he blesses them. And uh, then he's got this unusual boldness. You know, I guess when you're 100 and, uh, you know, 130 and you've had a cruddy life, you don't care what you say. So he's just incredibly bold in front of Pharaoh. And I think that's neat. The the chapter forty seven ends with Joseph's administration of the land, and this is this is pretty amazing. From chapter forty seven, beginning in verse thirteen, all the way to um, all the way to verse twenty five. Here's what happens: it's the time of famine. Joseph is running the country. First they buy the grain. Then they don't have any money to buy the grain, so they give their livestock. Then they don't have any money to feed to, to, to buy grain again, so they give their land. So by the end of all of this, here's the amazing uh, verse in chapter 47, verse 25. After Pharaoh owns everything... And all they're going to do now is give them seed and they can plant. And then they have to give Pharaoh a fifth of what they produce. And it's and the writer uh, Moses is going to say down in verse, uh, let's see, down in verse. Uh, it says that they do it until today. Like that's the rule until today that they have to give a fifth. It's down there. Where is it? At any rate, he... Okay, right now, verse 26, chapter 47, verse 26. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not come to become Pharaoh's. So even though they had nothing, look what they said in verse 25. They said, you've saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord. I guess they've never watched the Braveheart movie, right? You know, we want freedom. No, they're like, no, you saved our life we've given you all of our money, we've given you all of our animals, we've given you all of our land, but thank you. I know, and in a way you want to think, Joseph kind of ripped them off, you know, didn't he? But no, he's running the government. And uh, he takes all the money, lays it before Pharaoh. So he's doing his job. So that's chapter 47. Um, Let's see, one other word then in chapter 47 is Jacob, he, he speaks before he dies, and we're going to come on another little theme there. In chapter 47, um, verse 27, let's just read through that. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt and Goshen, and they acquired property in it, and they were fruitful and very numerous. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years so the length of Jacob's life was 147. When the time for Israel to die drew near, and you guys ever, you ever talk about like the age of the patriarchs and their ages? Have you guys ever had that conversation? It's kind of fun because, you know, in Psalms it says you're going to live 70 years. Anybody over 70, you're in the bonus round. You know, it's what it says in the Psalm. You get three score and ten. It's the days of our lives. alright I'll leave that one so he leaves he, he's 147 and the time for him to die drew near he called his son Joseph and said please if I've found favor in your sight place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness uh, the under the thigh thing that's not a theme that's not a major point it's just kind of a, a way to seal a covenant it's like a handshake Uh, And in fact, it's a little more graphic than just... Remember anybody old enough to remember the Marx Brothers? And Harpo Marx would always walk up to somebody and just take their leg and... (laughs) Like that. Well... (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of interesting. But that's not what they're doing. That's not what's happening here. And he's not just sitting by and putting his hand on him. So... Yeah, they're, they're, but this is their, their way to solidify and, and put some solemnness to this commitment. He says, put your hand under my thigh. Deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Don't bury me in Egypt. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews, and I've got that passage in the front of the notes, he's going to say, these guys looked in faith to say, we're not going to be here forever. We're going back to the promised land. And Joseph, if you fast forward, is going to say the same thing uh, over in ver- uh, chapter 50, verse 25. He says, God will uh, you, take care of you. Carry my bones up from here. And then chapter 47, verse 30 yeah, that's, I've got that, that line in your notes. That's where uh, Jacob says, I'm going to lie down with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt, bury me in that burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. So here's a, a little theme there. In fact, let me see. I put a couple of pictures in. I don't know if that's if I'm to where it is yet. No, I'm not to chapter 50. We'll get to chapter 50. Um, here's, a sh- here's a little theme, and that is, this is not your home. Now, Jacob, Jacob and Joseph both tell their people, take me from here back to the land that God is going to give us. That's a pretty interesting and pretty similar picture to us. In that in Scripture it says that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not our home, is it? No. But sometimes we, we get pretty comfortable here. I, I know often our prayer times at our church are prayers more to keep people out of heaven by you know God healing them, and not, nothing wrong with that, than to pray individually for people to come to know the Lord and get in. And, and I think part of what makes it where... Well, let me tell you two, two quick stories. Um, I've hinted about what happened to a group of our missionaries in northern Iraq. So we had, in uh, March of 20, 2004... We had uh, five of our missionaries were in a truck looking to do water projects in Mosul. They got in some traffic in the city. Bad guys stopped in traffic, got out with machine guns and fired all over the truck. It killed three of them right away. And then David McDonald and his wife Carrie, whose whose wedding I had done about a year and a half earlier, they were they had worked with me in Jordan and Sudan. Um David got Carrie out of the car. She was shot 21 times and lived. Yeah, David was shot once and later that night died in the helicopter from Mosul to Baghdad. Fast forward about a week or so. Really, I think it's about 14 days, and we were doing Karen McDonald or Karen Watson's funeral at the Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield. Huge funeral. She'd been a deputy sheriff in Kern County. Um, Jerry Rankin, the president of the National Mission Board, was there. Big deal. And so I'm I'm one of the three speakers for it. But I call the girl that survived, uh, Carrie McDonald, Nikki. I call her. She's in Parkland Hospital. After she was shot, they went to the Army base in Mussel, they put her in a coma for a week, and then when she woke up, she was in Parkland Hospital. And then she'd been told that her husband had died, that the Elliots had died, that Karen Watson had died. And so I called her up before the funeral, and I said, uh, Nikki, I'm about to speak at Karen's funeral. Do you want me to, what would you want me to say? And I still remember on the phone, she just was frantic, and she said, you've got to tell them we can't live like this is home we got to quit living like this is home. And at that point, you've just lost your husband and your, your best missionary friends. And she's a 25-year-old widow from her husband now gone. And this is it was, I, it's just always made an impact on me that she was so focused to say, this isn't home. But wow, we get comfortable here, don't we? We do. And uh, and maybe that's why people and believers that are in other countries where it's not so comfortable seem to have a little more urgency. I went to speak in Sudan. I'm sorry, I won't tell you many more Sudan. I'm going to be gone here in just a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, In Sudan, it was so cool. For two years, we didn't have a telephone or the Internet. And if somebody wanted you, they had to just come to your house. That was the best years of our life. And it was great because we had small children. And, man, so, but here was typically what happened. And so one, one night on a Wednesday, somebody was knocking at our gate. And I went and opened the gate. And a the guy there says, um, he says, you're preaching Friday. And uh, we want you to preach on church discipline. You have three one-and-a-half-hour sessions And we'll take a tea break in between, and I'll meet you. And he named the village uh, one of the little shanty towns around Khartoum, Sudan, where I would meet him. And so uh, I said, okay. So Merla, my wife, would drop me if I was going to speak somewhere, and I'd usually go to these house church meetings, and she'd drop me a ways away, and I'd walk in. So nobody saw the Khawaja. That's what they called us. Nobody saw my car near there, and then we'd get in trouble. So Myrtle dropped me. I walked on in. A guy kind of met my contact. We walked in, and there was a mud brick wall and a gate, and we opened the gate, and I stepped into the gate, and there was an area about the size of these two chair sections, and there was about 300 people on metal benches under a bamboo covering. And this was in the spring in Sudan. It was about 105 And they were all sitting outside, men on one side, women on the other. I preached for an hour and a half, and then we had hot tea. And then I preached for another hour and a half, and then we had more hot tea and biscuits, crackers, cookies. That's what they are. And then we had an hour of question and answer. And I just remember walking away from there thinking, good grief. Can you imagine us getting 100 people to sit under a bamboo Roof on metal benches for four or five hours, hungry, you know, for the word. And the reason those people are hungry is they realize that that's not their home. It's not. They're not staying there forever. And boy, they grasp onto the gospel because there's the hope that there's eternity with Jesus. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand what's eternity going to be like. How could it be better than my big screen TV and you know what I got at the drive-through? You know, I think sometimes that's our that's our enemy uh, to to realizing and living. If you if you and if you read Jacob and Joseph and if you get the tone in their voice, they're like, "You make sure you don't leave me here. I'm not staying here. I'm going to the land that God promised me." And I, I just wonder what kind of passion we have thinking about that, you know. Uh, my mother's got it, and sometimes I think she's weird. She's like, I know more people in heaven now than I know here. I'm ready to go. Let's go. I'm like, Mom, you know, we don't want you to, you know, drive off the road or anything. You know? <laughs> but that kind of a passion that says, you know, an urgency that says this isn't, this is not my home. All right, chapter 48, we're getting there. Hang on. And uh, in chapter 48, there's this blessing. Of the, okay, chapter 48 is a weird chapter. Read it, and you'll and you'll enjoy it. But um, what happens in chapter 48 is Joseph brings his children, Manasseh, who's the older, and Ephraim, to dad. Jacob to be blessed. Well, first thing that happens is dad basically seizes the children and adopts them as his own. Did you ever notice that? Chapter 48, uh, let's see. Let's see. Chapter 48, uh, verse 5. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. (laughs) Yeah, he's the dad. He's Joseph's dad. And he says, by the way, I'm taking your kids. Anybody you got after this, they're yours. But Ephraim and Manasseh are mine. Now, why are they going to be his? Partly because Joseph's going to get the birthright because Reuben has messed up. And you're going to see that in chapter 49. So that's the first thing that happens is Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be his. Uh, Then... Joseph brings the kids in to be blessed. And that's in chapter 48 verses eight to twenty two. And um, there's an interesting thing that happens, and I put the picture up that you could see. Uh, so it says that he brought in he brought in um, let's see, with his he wanted to go to the left hand, uh, Ephraim because he's younger. And he put Manasseh, so as Joseph leads them in to grandpa, he takes the boys in like this because as Jacob is sitting there, he's going to put Manasseh on his right hand because he's got to give Manasseh the blessing on, because he's the firstborn. And, and Jacob crosses his hands. And it's just an odd thing. He comes in, um, verse 14 of chapter 48, Israel stretched out his right hand and it laid on the hand of Ephraim who was younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head crossing his hands although Manasseh was the firstborn. Again, if you think about it, who was firstborn in Jacob or Esau? Esau. And that got switched. And so, and who was first born, whether Ishmael or Isaac? Isaac. Yeah, Isaac, Isaac switched. So Ishmael was born from Hagar. Yeah, you're right. I said it wrong. Yeah, Ishmael was born. It was the, the whole cup thing, you know. There it is. So he gives Ephraim the blessing and not Manasseh. And Joseph's a little upset about that, but that's just the way it goes. Little theme there, then God's ways are not man's ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Um, chapter 48, let's see, just so you don't think I'm going to pass over this one. There's, a, there's another little weird difficult verse, beginning in verse 15. Uh, he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's been my shepherd, and all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Who's that angel? And, and what's he talking about? Ask your Sunday school teacher or your pastor about that. <laughs> Actually, I mean, there's some people that think it refers back to when, when Jacob wrestled with God. Some people think it refers back to when Abraham was about to kill Isaac, and it says, the angel of the Lord stopped him, if Isaac dies, then Jacob never comes. So it's, a, it's an interesting little line. All right, chapter 49, um, Israel blesses his children. Again, there two, two things that you can kind of notice first, uh, verse three, Reuben, you're my firstborn, my strength in the beginning of or my might, in the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence. So Reuben again faces the consequences of his sin, and Reuben has actually, if you go back to Genesis. Uh, Let's see, in earlier, you go back to see what Reuben had done. And while Jacob was gone, uh, Reuben actually snuck in and had relations with his stepmom. And that is in, oh, where is that? You got that. Thank you. I got it right there? Oh, there it is on the screen. Ah. (laughs) There it is. Somebody thought about it. There it is. I'm sorry. All right, let me push on. Um, So he faces the consequences. Again, we talked about that last night. There are consequences to sin doesn't mean that you're not forgiven it doesn't mean that god doesn't love you it doesn't mean that you're not part of the family of god but it means sometimes we do things that have consequences reuben is still still one of the kids in fact he's one of my favorite because in the jordanian side where i lived for eight years we've got reuben gad and half of manasseh those tribes stay in jordan reuben's there that mean he's kicked out it just means hey because of what you've done you're not preeminent the second guy that gets a lot of mention is down in verse 8. That's Judah. So this is sort of this messianic prophecy about Judah, the, the, the scepter not departing from him. Uh, and I threw in these coins from Ethiopia. I used to work with the Ethiopians and uh, actually worked with Holly Selassie's grandson while we were living in Sudan. And they're real into the tribe of Judah. You know, everything in Ethiopia has to do with the tribe of Judah. So uh, J- uh, Jacob makes a prophecy uh, about that. All right, let's move on into verse, to chapter 50. And we'll just kind of park here for a, a bit and then we're, we're done. Uh, chapter 50, Jacob is buried. And uh, he, so beginning in chapter 50, well, Back up in chapter 49, he, he blesses them, uh, and when he finished charging, when he does all the blessings, the end of chapter 49, he drew his feet into his bed and breathed his last. So he blesses them all, puts his feet in the bed, and dies. Then the, the boys, uh, Joseph, has him embalmed, chapter 50, the first couple of verses. They wait the, the amount of time that they have to wait. And then they take him out uh, to, to Bury. And they're going to take him uh, to Bury in uh, Canaan back in Hebron. Do I have my pictures of Hebron there or are they coming up? Sorry, you guys. Yeah. So now we'll just fast forward also. Joseph's going to be buried in the same place. Now this is one of the places I haven't gone. And I always wanted to go here. The only reason is it's in Hebron. And in Arabic, they they call the the name of the town uh, Khalil. And it's in the West Bank. And really hard to get to. Uh, But you see this picture of this mosque. It's the Ibrahini mosque. That in, in Israel, they build a church over anything that, where anything important happened, they build a church over it. And the Muslims do the same thing. So, for instance, in Mosul, there's a mosque on top of the tomb of Jonah. Now, the ISIS guys don't like that because what happens even in these mosques and uh, in places like Mosul and the tomb of Jonah, which Mosul was ancient Nineveh. If you guys have ever been to that, anybody, I guess I'm the only one that's been to the mosque in Nineveh. But, um there's supposed to be his tomb there and the Muslims will go into the tomb and rub the, the cloth on the tomb to try to get power from it. And they do the same thing here and in the mosque in Damascus they say that John the Baptist's head is there and you'll see him walk around this little tomb there and rub it and the posts like this are just like this from centuries of people rubbing trying to get power. So Hebron, they take Jacob back there, and uh, it's, it's a very contested area even today because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are all buried there. And then, in fact, 1994, the next slide, there was a massacre there uh, where a Jewish settler, so the Jews made it where in Hebron there was a Jewish section and a, and a, a Muslim section and they're supposed to kind of be there at different times and policed and all that. But this guy, Barack Goldstein, got in with a gun and killed 29 people and wounded 125 uh, on a particular day. That's, so that place is there. So they take Jacob back. They bury him. And uh, they're going to bury Joseph uh, there later as well. But in the meantime the brothers begin to think verse 15 of chapter 50 it, this thing is about to come full circle so the brothers are going to think the brothers think now that dad's dead joseph's going to get us and joseph reassures him and he says i'm here for a reason you didn't do this don't worry i'm going to take care of you and, and he tells him, verse 19, don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to prepare many people, to preserve many people alive. Here's the theme. Joseph was where he was placed for a reason, and you are where you're placed for a reason. You are in your workplace, you are in your neighborhood, you are in your social circles for a reason. It's not an accident that you're there. One of the best evangelists that I had in my church was a little old lady that worked at the gas company. And I call her little and old because she was like in her 60s, <laughs> yeah, and uh I know. Remember, if you're 70 or above, you're in the bonus round. You can't talk. She's she's in her 60s working at the gas company, and she was one of those ladies that just said to her colleagues, after her husband had left her, after 30 years of marriage... And after they saw how she reacted to that, and they said, what's different about you? How can you still be happy? And how can you still have joy? And she shared her faith. And from her, I had three families that connected to the gas company that come to our church and come to know the Lord just through her. She knew she was at the gas company for a reason. Before I left Barstow the first time, uh, or the the last and only time, because I'm not leaving again, I told them they have to get me two cemetery plots at Mountain View Cemetery now. Before I left, the first time I had a list of seven guys that I was praying for to see come to know Christ. And in about a six-month time, six of those seven guys came to know Christ, which is a pretty good thing. If you guys would decide we're going to pray for people to come to know Christ, it's amazing that God actually tends to respond to that. And I think that's scriptural to do. So six of the seven guys came to Christ. The, the seventh guy was my good friend Mark Hamilton who owned Hamilton Realty in Barstow. His mom, Carrie, did her funeral just a few years ago. So I took Mark to lunch and i like, all right, I've got six out of the seven. Mark, tell me, you know, why aren't, are you, is there any reason you don't want to turn from, you know, turn from your sin and trust Christ right now? And he says, you know what? I, there's just too much for me to give up. I like my life. I like my BMW. I like my car. I like what I'm doing. Just too much to give up. All right. I left, pretty upset. You know, not knowing what was going to happen. I didn't want Mark to go to hell. About two weeks later, uh, Mark called me, and he said, uh, "Preacher, you're not going to believe this, but last night I got saved." And I said, "How did that happen, Mark? I wasn't there." And he said, he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, we were at the fair at Victorville, and my wife filled out a card from a bed salesman. Last night, the bed salesman came over. His wife's a UPS driver. She's still our UPS driver. And he said, uh, last night, the bed salesman came over to talk to us about the bed. After about 10 minutes, my wife got tired. She went to sleep. He let, he, she left me in the living room with the bed salesman. And after about 10 more minutes, the bed salesman said, Mr. Hamilton, I can tell you're not interested in buying a bed, but let me talk to you about something you might be interested in. And the bed salesman shared Christ with my good friend, and he tells me on the telephone, I knelt down in the middle of my living room floor with the bed salesman and prayed to receive Christ. That bed salesman was there for a reason. And that, that, folks, is called missional living. When you decide that you're placed in your neighborhood, not just because it was a nice house, but because there's a group of people around you that are an unreached people group that need to know about Christ. And that you're placed in the workplace, not just because you're smart, you know how to use a slide ruler. They still use those? No? We had to learn that at Catella High School in Anaheim. Slide rule. You're you're not just there because you're smart. You're there because you're on mission and I know, you know, some of you in your mind, is like, well, you just don't understand where I work. It's just against the law. You know, I can't really share. Hey, I've lived in an Islamic country. There's ways, all right? You don't have to put a, you know, kick me, I love Jesus, son, on your back. But you're on mission. So you're where you are for a reason. And then finally, uh, let me just read that verse in chapter 50, verse 24. Uh, finally, Joseph is going to die. So let's just let's end it up with Joseph. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt. He and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Micor, the sons of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. I don't know what that means. Whether that's symbolic or whether he held the children on his knees. Uh, When they were babies and Joseph said to his brothers I'm about to die but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from the land to the uh, from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and then he made them swear saying God will surely take care of you and you will carry my bones up from here Joseph died at the age of 110 he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. The last, the last theme, I think, is, is this theme that Joseph tells his children and his grandchildren, and he says, God's not done. God is moving toward what Paul says in Galatians is the fullness of time. How come everything didn't just happen where it happened? How come God didn't just blow through and create crops you know, in Palestine, in Cana, instead of having to send him to Egypt and wait 430 years and go all the way back to Jordan and then cross all the way over again and then wait another 1,000 years, why, why didn't he just put it in the microwave and just do it right away? Because in Galatians, Paul says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Time had to be perfect. And a, and a day to the Lord is like a 1,000 years. That was no time for him. So it all worked out and it all came to be in exactly where God when exactly God wanted it to come and when exactly God wanted it to be. But Joseph tells his kin here's the thing this, the story's not over. God's not done with you. And, and I think that's a theme you take away. God's not finished with you either. With who you're going to be with what you're going to do with how he's shaping you. If you've reached the point, you know, where you've kind of clocked out on growth spiritually, that's not a good place to be. What's the next place? Where's the next ministry? Who's the next person you're going to mentor? What's the next small group you're going to be a part of? Where's the next edge for you that God's leading you? Cuz it's not done. You're not finished i I, I got to show you a few pictures and I'm going to quit. My wife uh, is an artist. And I've got a few paintings of hers to show you. Merla did this last month when she was in Bahrain with my son. And this is a Bahraini boat in the city in the background. Um, the next picture is a, a wagon at Calico. Yeah. And she just, you know, just liked that little wagon and painted the wagon a calico. Uh, the next one is my son Sam. And this was a project that she had to do in a class. And it's got it's a particular style. And you can see the chunky kind of paint on it. And it's a pretty big painting, but that's my son Sam eating a bowl of cereal. And then the last one is a window in New Mexico. And... Um, I think Merla's pretty, pretty good. The weird thing about Merla, though, is these are probably the four out of her hundred or so paintings that are actually finished. She gets to the point, and we've had discussions about this, and we might have to go to Genesis' counseling <laughs> over it, because we've had discussions about how is it, honey? That you can do such a good job, but you, she's probably got literal no, I'm exaggerating, but she probably has 40 paintings that aren't finished, and one of them is Route 66 with the emblem in the middle, and she'll just get like 95% done and then just kind of start over. I'm like what are you doing? I'm just not ready. It's just not done. It's just I I just can't just like finish it. You know? I'll finish it here, there, you know, finish it. But in a way, you know, that's kind of like who we are, isn't it? I mean, some of you, God's nearly had you done and then something's happened and man, it just gets wiped away and it's almost like it's a new thing going on. Some of you, yeah, the painting's almost done, but there's still some edges to finish, still some detail to map out. And at the end of the day, You know, I I think you just you realize God's not finished with you where you are. You're where you are for a reason, and I just love Philippians one six that I'm confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Would you just bow your heads for a second, and um, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe just right now. Um, maybe the Lord would just give you a, a new vision of what, what He wants to do through you in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your social networks, uh, with your group of friends, maybe at the senior center or maybe in the, the hobbies that you have. Uh, just maybe the Holy Spirit would give you a, a fresh vision of being on mission. And then I think we, we still have to just come back to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you are the potter and I am the clay. Uh, I'm the canvas, you're the painter, and just make me what you want me to be. And maybe some of you tonight uh, might just happen to be here and not know the Lord. You really just need to make that decision right now don't go away without that, without just saying, Lord Jesus, boy, you've, you you uh, look at my life and I'm here tonight and I'm here for this reason and that is to just give my life to you. Have your way, have your will in my heart. I'm going to pray and after that, I'll just turn it back over to, to Bill. Thank you guys so much uh, for your patience and listening and hanging around and uh, just really love you and thanks for letting me be here. Father, we just thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for a church family. Thank you that that all of us in this room or most of us in this room are going to be able to, to share uh, about this story and maybe hear it from Joseph himself uh, as we as we come to be with you in the future, that this isn't our home and that we'll be with you and get to hear the the parts of the story that we left out, the details. Father, thank you for this church. I pray your blessing on it. Thank you for these people. Lord, use this church just to be on mission in this city, to be a a light on a hill, to be salt uh, in this community that would glorify you. And I pray in Jesus' name.